Hello and welcome to episode two of Paths, the podcast about people who have made dramatic changes in their lives. My name is Donald Gallery and this episode's guest is Elise McCabe. Elise graduated from Lambda, like myself, and she's quite honest about finding it tricky in the years following graduation. She tells us about her favorite acting gig, which was a six month tour of India doing Twelfth Night, and about her transition out of an acting career via driving Stephen Fry around the east coast of America in a taxi. She then joined a company called BritDoc, and we find her in the Brooklyn offices of probably the best known crowdfunding company, Kickstarter, where at the time of the interview, Elise was director of narrative film and since that's been updated to senior director of film i loved elise's positive state of mind and the articulate way she expressed her thoughts about her whole journey enjoy how's it going elise good thank you how are you i'm good i'm good um thank you so much for for joining me on this um and for inviting me into the kickstarter offices here in brooklyn or greenpoint which is brooklyn right it is uh, yeah north in, brooklyn in north brooklyn um which are i can say are very cool and you've set us up in a in a really nice kind of soundproofed podcast room with much more professional looking podcast equipment <laughs> i don't know some similarly similarly professional equipment but also some fairly uh homemade soundproofing so oh yeah well, that's a whiteboard, which has got essentially a blanket <laughs> over the top of it. So, well, when you put it like that, yeah, fair yeah. enough. <laughs> is, that, is that kind of the vibe in Kickstarter? Is, it, is there kind of a DIY vibe in general? It, it's, um, it's less DIY than it used to be. Right. Which makes sense. Kickstarter was 10 this year. Uh, and definitely for the first five years, and I wasn't here for those first five years, um, the office was a kind of, uh, I think, one floor and then two floors of a building in the Lower East Side uh, where everything was very DIY, homemade, I think probably broken. Right. That's when I first visited and I remember falling in love with the company, walking like up through this kind of janky door that was covered in stickers and like, you know, walking around wide eyed at these very cool folks you found your place i found my place yeah took me a few years to get here but yeah yeah well that's what we're going to talk about yeah um because you um like uh like every guest i've spoken to so far you began your professional life as an actor very true yeah (laughs) Yeah. she said kind of looking into the distance i know like the distant memory yeah trying to recall that time in my life anyway yeah right (laughs) well that's what we'll uh we'll kind of dig into first um so well, i should say because i've made the mistake of waiting too long to explain what the guest actually does so wh- what mm. what is your title now here in kickstarter so my title now is director of narrative film um which doesn't mean that i direct narrative films which is confusing but um it essentially means i work with narrative filmmakers fiction filmmakers who are um uh, who are basically in production development production um on their on their projects and the point out in their kind of projects life cycle when we come into contact and we work together is as they're trying to raise finance for their projects yeah. right and that's where you guys come in and kind of get them over get them over the line yeah get them over some line probably right. not the final line but right. maybe a big line yeah yeah the, maybe the key one yeah okay cool um 
So yeah, let's hear about the the path you took and the trajectory to get there. Um, so when where did you grow up for a start? So I grew up in Cambridge in the UK. Um, I probably don't have to be very specific. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's where it was. Right. Uh, and I was there till I was 18. Right, cool. And then I headed off, packed my bag off to London. Yeah. All all 45 miles. <laughs> well, maybe 60, actually. <laughs> the trek, the four-day camel ride. Y- yeah, exactly. <laughs> all the way down the M11. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, yeah, I went off to study uh, anthropology at UCL. Right. Okay, so... Let's take a step back. How did you get into acting? Oh, okay. So I guess, I guess it, like when I think about it, I realize it's the single most consistent thing that I did from about the age of six or seven onwards um, throughout, throughout school, you know, even as uh, homework kind of fell behind and, uh, you know, other, other sorts of pursuits fell by the wayside. Um, that was kind of the thing that I just did most consistently. Um, I was part of a, most enjoyable like young person's theatre group in Cambridge um, with a bunch of other people who are who also went on to become actors like and actually was quite a rich kind of sort of seeding ground Um, you know people I ended up people I acted with in my early teens and I ended up at drama school with or um, it's kind of cool I guess yeah it's at that point you realise what a small country we we're from you know what I mean (laughs) or or pair of countries in that case but um but you know (laughs) it's like a small it's sort of from an industry point of view it's kind of pretty small Mm. um so yeah so I guess I just did a lot of kind of local acting local shows young you know drama lessons the rest of it um and and did that pretty consistently until I went to university right so it was just kind of a natural part of your life it wasn't something during your teens that you were kind of thinking that you might want to be an actor at that point you know what I think I, I I mean if anyone had asked me what I wanted to do from about the age of eight onwards I would have said I would have said I wanted to be an actress I yeah. believe was the answer um and I think that as like I don't know as you were supposed to make more realistic choices that kind of probably subsided a bit in my late teens I wasn't actually sure how you would go about doing that you know in actual fact um, but um, but f- definitely, I think from probably the age of about eight to f- at least fifteen, or seven to fifteen, that would have been my consistent answer. I right. want to be an actress. Yeah. And do you remember any particular production or anything you did during that time that was a, a highlight of those years? I mean, I think the ones that I the ones that are a highlight are almost the it's almost the funniest answer. <laughs> I remember for my theatre studies A level. I play, and this will mean something to you, but like I played Hugh in translations, the old gnarled male <laughs> schoolmaster, <laughs> drunk. Uh, and um, my theatre studies teacher was uh, a, a wonderful man called Steve Waters, who is a playwright. And I remember, and he was a wonderful, I mean, he was a wonderful teacher. He's also a great playwright. And I remember that we went to see his first play. I think it was his first play being produced somewhere in London. And it was being directed by Josie Rourke. And it was like one of her kind of, I guess it was very early on in her I don't know. She's probably in her. She's probably in her mid forties now. So, and this was probably twenty years ago. So she was like a young, upcoming theatre director. Uh, so yeah, notable productions. <laughs> Hugh and <in> translations. <laughs> <laughs> I 
played a bunch of like m- male characters around that time. Uh, I just kept being cast as kind of either as like a woman in a man's role, or as being or as playing a man, or like it happened again and again and again from my late teens into my twenties, which is funny because I'm five foot four. Right. So it's not like oh well no she really passes as a as a guy but I don't know obviously came up some sort of energy was that frustrating did you want to be playing the more no of? I think I quite enjoyed it I think I quite enjoyed it it was quite fun to yeah. kind of flex that muscle yeah played um oh, I can't I can't remember the name of the kid. Tony Lumpkin in, <laughs> what was the name of that play I can't remember anyway I played a bunch of kind of fairly asexual male characters right that's funny now because you're obviously you graduated from drama school kind of 10 years ago or so i wish i could say 10 years ago right um but that would be much more of the moment now you know it would be so much more of the moment now also i would be so much more of the moment now since at that time uh i presented quite differently for the sake of uh, your listeners so now i have you know very short hair very clearly visibly queer but then not so much had kind of long curly hair and like you know was like aspiring to what some kind of ingenue I yeah, mean it's yeah. funny now I even think about it but like yeah it's topsy-turvy everything would have been better now mm, mm. that's such an important part for anyone isn't it to kind of to be in the right place at the right time yeah and to be in the right and uh, yeah and where that place is your, also your own body yeah. who you are and to know that and and you know i think that's such an important um it's so it's so important to be a successful actor is to know who you are mm. um on a profound level and also on a very sort of commercial level as well to kind of know exactly to be able to to know what you're presenting and what people will receive um and i i mean we can come on to this but i definitely didn't know that I mean, I would like to think that if I was a, um, if I was 23 and coming out of drama school now, but with some of the kind of wisdom and sense of kind of um, just, yeah, that sort of self-knowledge that I have now that I didn't have then that, I don't know, that might have worked to my advantage or, or something. Yeah. I'm always amazed by people who are that kind of age who seem to have that because mm-hmm. I definitely didn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, but people who are like 21 and just completely know themselves on those levels that you talk about. It's really extraordinary because yeah. those people do exist lots, yeah. <laughs> you know, and you, and you know it when you're in the presence of someone like that, yeah. someone who's young but is really self-possessed and, uh, you know, is pretty, you know, has a pr- pretty solid sense of who they are and what they have to offer as well, With especially within this, within a kind of theatre or TV or film context. Um, yeah. Yeah. So then you go to study, you decide not to go down acting professionally at 18. You go and study anthropology. Yeah, my dad's an academic and he definitely was like, hmm, yes, this is all very well and good, but I think you should probably get a proper degree under your belt, which is funny because then I went and studied anthropology. (laughs) I was going to (laughs) say. I was like, dad, it's a BSc. I'm a Bachelor of Science. And he laughed in my face. There's no chemistry involved. Why did you specialize in that as a matter of interest? I guess mm. you had to do a dissertation or something. Yeah, I kind of, that course is pretty cool because there's a lot of biological anthropology, there's a lot of social anthropology, it's pretty even split. Um, I guess to, uh, as time went on, I focused more on material culture. So yeah, sort of uh, the world, 
the world that humans make for themselves and the way that that world m makes them. That kind of, that sort of uh, interesting relationship between human beings and literally the physical elements of their world. Yeah, Jesus, that's so interesting. I enjoyed it so much. We had a, some amazing, just amazing teachers. Yeah, I, I don't mean to go off on a, uh, have we got some? Just a lot of noise. Quarrels going on outside. Oh, I'm, sure, I'm sure it's fine. It's okay. okay I great. think if the listener knows there's a homemade vibe <laughs> going on here, they'll forgive <laughs> us. Um, yeah, I don't want to go off on too too much of a tangent, but what you said makes me think about the idea that you know, the question uh, that uh, everything that human beings do is n part of nature, as much as it might not seem like that TV screen doesn't look like part of nature, but it could be argued that we're we're from nature, and therefore everything we do is yeah, you know yeah yeah. It is, the, it is the creation of us and we are of nature and yeah yeah as uh as shit as some of it might be but right anyway, yeah exactly that rabbit hole <laughs> um so how from anthrop you graduate you completed that course yeah and then so how what was the time between that and going to lambda i went straight there i right. went straight there um i think in my like over the course of my second year and third year like a bunch of people in year years ahead of me went off to drama school and it was that point where i re where i kind of re-realized that actually this was a thing that people did i remember really clearly at the end of my first year mm, at the end of my second year the summer between my second and third year i met a couple of actors who were in a production of i'm gonna say merrily we roll along at the many a chocolate factory and there was something like about meeting real actors in the wild. And it's funny because I'd been acting for a long time and, you know, in, you know, in an, in an amateur sense. But like that I never forget meeting them. And the fact actually the fact was we were doing some temping work together and it was a bit of a kind of it was both incredibly inspiring because I was meeting people who were in a show I loved. Um, but also they were temping and I was like, oh, I'm a bit confused. Like, but they had a, they, they, they were both in a really great show. So, you know, and that first realization that the trajectory, if we can even kind of call it that, wasn't sort of undeniably kind of upwards and to the right, mm. that, that this was a kind of a bumpy, this was a bumpy, but it did, but the combination of meeting them and then, you know, all, all of these loads of people going off to drama school in the kind of in in two years ahead of me made me realize it was possible so yeah so I was doing my finals and auditioning for drama schools and you know seeing where I got in do you remember what speeches you did I should but I don't that just shows you you know how much your life has moved on was it though i think there was an amelia there was a piece of amelia from um othello. from othello i mean that was definitely one i've done along the along the way uh yeah i can't remember maybe yeah. something from there was this ben elton play called gasping that was quite a funny one um anyway right but but yeah, not not easily not easily recallable. In fact, somebody asked me what I got for my A levels the other day, and I couldn't. Remember. <laughs> I know what subjects I did, but I could not for the life of me remember what my grades were. And that's quite cool, you know. Look forward. It was so important for so long, and no one's asked me that probably for the better part of a decade. So. Yeah, exactly. It just shows you reassuring mm. to anyone who's doing their A levels who's listening. Yeah, you actually you can't believe it, but one day you'll forget <laughs> what you got. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you got into Lambda? Yeah. 
And uh, this is quite cool because uh, you're the first guest I've spoken to who went to Lambda like myself. So yeah, we were a few there. years apart, right? Yeah. When well, did you graduate? I graduated 2014. Yeah, just a cool decade. <laughs> <laughs> just a cheeky 10. Yeah, <laughs> just a cheeky 10. Nine, actually, but yeah, we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll call a spade a spade. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I went to Lambda. Yeah. I, um, I did the two-year... Uh, postgrad course same as myself yeah yeah um and yeah it was great had a bunch of really wonderful people on it with me and do you remember um any particular bits of the course any particular teachers or anything that stand out to you as yeah i think i mean i think for me i, had a, I mean a, a lot i mean a lot stands out it's all quite sta- not not very much of it just recedes I mean, look, day to day, I'm sure, but like, I have like, I can recall significant um, moments, lessons, learnings with probably most of the teachers who taught me. I think it also helps, or maybe, I mean, that's one way, way of saying it, but I think it helps that like, it's such a kind of bubble. And there's so there's this kind of like constant feedback because it's so overwhelming and it's you spend so much time doing it that you are in constant conversation with your fellow classmates about what is happening. So I think it has this way of kind of like really... Um, what would be the right word um it just it, you form those memories so hard so hard you know what yeah, i mean yeah. it's like a funny thing's ha- a funny thing happens and literally you spend the next 9 months repeating that funny thing and retelling it and you know retelling it sober and retelling it drunk and re- you know until you get to the end of those 2 years and a couple of years after it and literally you could you know i could probably you know, I could recount sections of rehearsals, not the not the plays themselves, but how conversations <laughs> went. You know, and and, yeah. and catchphrases and stuff. And we've and sorry, we've had that um, with like the WhatsApp group of our drama school year, where we'll it's once or twice it's happened where we'll we'll kind of kick off with a funny memory, and then they just start tumbling down. You know, off and it goes. Yeah, and it, it is. It's great, isn't it? There's a particular atmosphere when you're there. That yeah, I just think that you. You know, and, and, and actually this element, this element of uh, drama school and that post-drama school time and the industry actually, when you're fairly early on in your career, actually became a real kind of, eventually became a real turnoff for me that it was so inward looking and so in like so concerned with itself. I think when I had kind of stepped out a little bit for a little while and I kind of stepped back in, obviously still had lots of friends who were actors, I sort of was like, my God, these folks only talk about, you know, themselves and the industry and, you know, but and in an incredibly insular way. I was really shocked and I realised that that's how we had been. I, you know, I had just kind of moved away from it a bit, but, like, it was exactly as I had left it. So, like, you know, I had been like that too, but it's very interesting. Yeah, the, I, I would agree with that. And it has struck me at times. And, you know, I, I wouldn't say this about all actors in all situations, but, you know... Uh, it's rare enough in my experience that people will talk about like for example what's going on in the news and politics and and stuff like that which i think people in most other professions probably would dip into a bit more but but like you say uh, people in the acting world tend to be really consumed with with it and with yeah film and tv and theater and i think it's true and i think it's also probably the nature of like like you are 
you know, constantly about six weeks away from being out of work. Mm. And so actually the kind of detailed machinations of what's being made and who's making it and who's being cast and, you know, what you might be up for actually kind of, I mean... you know, I guess in a, in a way to sort of to defend to defend it, it makes sense. It's like you're con- you're constantly on the precipice of needing to find new work. So yes, you know, and it, and it's a fast moving industry. You know, you might be rehearsing for a month, doing a show for a month, you know, uh, and then you're out again. So so it is there is a constant sort of there is that constant churn, um, but yeah. You know, and I guess, and I guess, you know, what you discuss and what you know concerns you probably also depends on what work, you know, what what is the work that you're working on at that moment. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, oh, funny. Yeah, that's a that's a lovely defence, and I think that's that's <laughs> absolutely right. Um, yeah, it was a bit much for me, but yeah. Yeah. So. So, you leave Lambda. How was that transition? Did you? Um, did you find getting an agent easy or or that kind of stuff like what was it like kind of no, going into the real world? definitely not easy uh i mean i didn't succeed in doing it but um uh-huh. i think that i don't know i think the transition at the time was just i mean it was fun because apart from anything like we left drama school but we were all there was 30 of us and for the most part at least you know at least at the very beginning everyone was still in london and kind of life just sort of um it sort of just rolled on. I don't know. It's. I mean, it seems like a long time. I mean, it was a long time ago now, but um, uh, life just kind of rolled on, and off we went. And people did their plays, and everybody came out to support. And you know, it didn't matter whether someone was at the Donmar or someone was, you know, at a pub theatre in Southwest London. You know, you you kind of, I don't know, you, that like that kind of like cohesion that is forged in that um you know uh crucible of drama school like sort of bears out at least at least for a couple of years and you know i think we were still pretty cohesive as a as a group um people continued to get together <laughs> i mean like pe- couples continued to form even after we had left drama school and so like it kind of you know it all held together pretty nicely um I think definitely at some point for me, there was a kind of uh, realization that, you know, the structure of drama school had fallen away and that therefore that needed to be replaced with something else. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like there was no longer that kind of exoskeleton, you know, that incredible, and, and it's highly structured drama school it's like more structured than, I don't know, when we were doing plays, you know, at you know at university and you had to kind of figure out okay how am I going to meet the needs of my course and essays and you know exam stuff and also learn my lines for this play and you had to kind of many different masters and stuff and suddenly drama school it's, it's not the case you're, I mean you know this you're you're scheduled from 9am until 9pm yeah. actually more days than you're not you're making me think of uh, Rodney Cartier's kind of schematic timetable for the year which was right. an absolute work of of genius yeah exactly organizational genius on his part yeah exactly and yeah it was it was like military down to it's military and like those evenings where you finished as early as 6 p.m you probably were going to spend a couple of hours with a broadsword yeah (laughs) warren weatherspoons Weatherspoons. (laughs) maybe both (laughs) just you know just a quick punter reverser and then a couple of pints (laughs) but uh yeah yeah so i think 
So I think probably, I'm, I mean, I say probably just because it's sort of a bit hazy, but definitely that realization. And honestly, that realization may, not, I may have applied that realization retrospectively, uh, retroactively, um, that that structure was gone and that I missed it. I think that's something that we kind of crave naturally, don't, uh, like a sense of community and, a, and some degree of routine, even if you're, you know, a creative type who likes spontaneity and adventure and so on you you need to have kind of something driving you day to day and that 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 is one of the struggles that people face in the acting life when they're in between work isn't it i think it's a struggle that faces all creative people which is like trying to how to create the kinds of structures that you need to do your best work while also allowing yourself a freedom to think and, and, and make and also allowing yourself to introduce unexpected elements to kind of feed your, to feed that creative process and trying to find that sort of balance, you know. And obviously I know lots of people who have kind of like a routine in the morning for instance you know that might involve morning pages or some kind of journaling and some meditation and maybe a pretty routine you know time of waking up and going to bed um i mean there's you know there's no end to the ways that people can you know bring structure the kinds of structure you know into their life but um yeah i think i missed it very i think i missed it um a lot you know and so I found myself gravitating towards things that gave it to me, but didn't actually also give me the ability to do the creative work. You know, I found myself in, you know, tying myself to some sort of temping jobs or something because, you know, that anxiety about not being able to pay the rent and like, so yeah, that was a big, that was sort of a big feature of that time after drama school was kind of, was was finding myself tethered to jobs that were not in themselves very fulfilling apart from a paycheck but also obviously probably didn't pay that well either since mm. i was an actor um and that yeah that was the that that was the tough yeah that was the tough piece just kind of not, not quite knowing how to how to do this <laughs> you know and not having a template yeah uh, so tell me about the the experience you did have as an actor in that in that time out at, between finishing lambda and then when you started to kind of transition away from acting, what, what were the yeah the gigs you had? Probably the probably the best, and I mean best, not into not in terms of um, uh, um, you know, <laughs> I mean best in terms of most memory worthy, but but not not the most critically acclaimed. Often the um, case. Yeah, exactly. They do go hand in hand. Uh, was the six months that I spent in India um, doing a production of uh, Twelfth Night, um, which was a thing that ran for three or four years, uh, which, and it mostly was peopled by um, sort of fairly recent drama school graduates um and my kind of group was me and someone else from my year at drama school and then you know i mean you know so, someone else at lambda a couple of people from uh drama center it was just like a bit of you know it was a little bit of everything and um and there was about 10 of us and we lived and rehearsed um in um in udaipur in rajasthan and we we rehearsed in the city palace which was sort of an unbelievable place 
and and we rehearsed for like a couple of months and then we did and then we did the show and we did the show in all sorts of different places in Rajasthan so we did it in um in Udaipur in the city palace in Jodhpur in in the um in the palace there uh essentially in the street in Jaisalmer in a theater in Jaipur it was like it was insane and we did a bunch of other things as well like i mean you know, horrific when I think back about them, but luckily it was sort of before anyone had camera phones. <laughs> what did you do? <laughs> <laughs> so, well, if I was thinking, if I, if I'm to think about the, um, if I am to think about the carol concert we gave in a small village somewhere in Rajasthan, uh, that gives me chills, but I'm, it would give me more chills if I knew that there was footage. Okay. Uh, well, give us uh, our raw footage now. Yeah, <laughs> to document it on the internet. Yeah, good, good idea. Maybe later. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Well, that sounds like some adventure. It was wild. Yeah. And that's another case where literally, if I get together with those people, like we can recount whole, you know, whole ridiculous rehearsals, or like because it's so intense and you're in such a kind of like <laughs> you're in such a kind of heated, intense environment. Yeah. Um, and who are you playing? I played Feste. Amazing. <laughs> so I played another kind of like sort of gender non-conforming or, you know, gender questioning asexual being. Yeah. As is my, as my kind of, um, my perfect casting, apparently. Um, Tell you, Elise, if you wanted to get back into acting. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Now's my time. Yeah, but as we as we'll discuss, uh, it doesn't. I don't think you do. No. Um, no. I don't. So um, so tell me about the kind of transitional period then when you when you start to think how did that start to happen where you're like maybe maybe I want to go a different yeah. direction. I think I was frustrated. I was I just found I just found that I was doing work that wasn't as I said it wasn't really very fulfilling, um, and so my first thought was okay what sorts of work could I do that I could kind of do alongside uh, that I could do alongside acting that would be also interesting in and of itself. So I was getting more interested in photography and documentary. And so I sort of did, I kind of began to do some headshots for folks. Um, and and that was kind of quite a fun sort of interesting, that felt like a, a, a thing that was kind of fun and interesting and enjoyable for me. Um, and then and then someone got in touch with me to ask if I was available to work on a documentary that was shooting. Um, it was like, you know, sort of TV, TV doc with Stephen Fry. It was the first episode of his um, Stephen Fry in America series. And it would involve me driving a, a black cab, picking a black cab up in Chicago, driving it to the n most northerly, easterly tip of Maine, uh, which was a 48 hour drive or something absurd. And then and then the production team and Stephen Fry will come out and we made our way down the east coast to, for all the way from Maine down to Virginia for the first episode and I was like yeah <laughs> so we did that for three weeks and that was a lot of fun um and then kind of pretty much off the back of that just by kind of chance um I went to work with a documentary funding organization who also ran a film festival. So I worked for them on their film festival for what was supposed to be three months um, because it was just, it was they were in preparation mode and I was just gonna go and work with them for this time. 
And it was just one of those things where you, I remember walking into the, I, I, had, a, I had a coffee with one of, the direct, one of the foundation directors, got on very well with her. She was like, great, you're in, when can you start? And I was like, ASAP. And, um, and I remember walking into that office for the first time. At that time, this organization was called BritDoc, they're now called Doc Society. But uh, walking in and just being like, oh, I'm like amongst my people. Mm. Just I- immediately comfortable, which is, not an unusual reaction to this particular group of people. They are uh, quite unique and special in that regard. But nonetheless, that was my feeling in my kind of late 20s. And I was like, ha, cool. Yeah. And after the film festival wrapped, I ended up staying. I ended up staying. We just got on so well. And yeah. there was plenty of and there was plenty of work for me to do. And I was kind of enthusiastic and they were just good people. So I stayed. What kind of stands out about those two stories of the, those two first jobs is that you have a you have a quality that that draws people to you, or that you have a kind of I don't know, it's some there's an affable uh, kind of uh, competent quality you give off that people say, "Let's get Elise in." Thanks, give her this. <laughs> but you know that that obviously helped you helped you kind of I think transit into cool stuff kind of I quite quickly. I guess maybe you, I hadn't really ever thought I hadn't really ever thought of it, but yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, the combination of a kind of a competence and probably like an emotional intelligence as well, which, mm. which you need with with any kind of work that involves both, uh, I don't know, like the creation of um, of kind of creative product, you know, creative production, um, and the people who make that you make that whatever that is whether it's theater or film or documentary or whatever um plus you know anything to do with production whether that's producing a film festival or a documentary you sort of need someone who can kind of i guess think on their feet but is also sensitive to like the personalities and what's going on around you and maybe that you know those so those things which i've always regarded to be incredibly soft skills and i'm skill with a lowercase s you know what i mean but actually i don't know you can sometimes watch people operate um, without those, and and then mm. you realise that maybe there is some value. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. yeah, big time. Balls in china shops. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, un unaware, and you know. Mm. Well, yeah, not to be too kiss ass, but I do. I get that vibe from you. You know, to me, you you kind of have an immediate uh, sense of that. So it makes sense to me that you kind of fell into these cool things quickly. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. So, so then you're you're at Brit Doc and a Doc, Doc Society. So yeah, they eventually um, changed the name to Doc Society, but right. all the time I was there, it was called Brit Doc, and that was the name of the festival as well. Right. And so, just uh, for anyone listening, just to get an idea of the kind of timeline here, how how many years after uh, you graduated from Lambda did you do the Stephen Fry thing? Like maybe three. Right, and then how many years after that is is this? Pretty soon after that. I mean, right. I gotta say, I didn't stick with it for very long. Well, three. I mean, that's three years of your life. That's especially that's when you're nothing. that age. Actually, it's funny because you know, since since that time, three years seems less and less significant. But like at that time, you're kind of like you want to be doing what you want to be doing. You yeah. know, which I think is a good 
like it's a good quality and that's a that's a good impulse but at this point and I don't have any and I don't have any regrets but it is interesting that at this point in my life if I'm to look to um the careers of some of my friends and I watch people who like doggedly stuck it out for a, for far far longer than than my you know sort of three four years um and and for whom it came good and I'm thinking primarily of probably Nadia Albina who like I mean she's an absolutely exceptional actor she was in my year and truly exceptional like you know one of the finest I I love I loved and love watching her um and I feel like she really came into her own actually about eight or began began to came into come into her own about eight or nine years after we left drama school hmm. um I think also because of that, you know, what we were talking about kind of timing and, you know, particularly around this this sort of moment that gender fluidity is having now, I think there was a real opening up around um, actors with disabilities. Um, and, uh, and that allowed uh, a space for Nadia. Um, what is her? So Nadia was born. Um, her I think her right arm um, just stops just below her um, elbow. Right. Okay. And and so um, it impedes her very little, as far as I can, as far as I have you know watched her over these last fifteen years. Um, but it was a real, but it was a real obstacle. And then some point around the Olympics. Um, that a bit more space was made, the Olympics and the Paralympics, a bit more space was made for, um, I mean, I, I don't know if she would tell the story like this, so I don't want to co-opt her her narrative around her career and what was happening, but there did seem to be some more diversity initiatives that were inclusive of actors with disabilities, which I think diversity initiatives, quote unquote, um, often exclude still continue to exclude that portion of, of our society. So I think there was this moment and she, um, and she, and she was kind of, you know, right, right, ready for it, primed for it. So, yeah. um, so it's interesting. It's interesting. My kind of, um, uh, sort of, um, impatience at that moment and kind of like I jumped, I was just like, no, not for me. And I, you know, a couple of, and Dave Caves actually also, I feel like, um, took a took a little bit long took a little bit longer but like did not let up pressure and you know has done very well out of it here's a long running part in um silent witness right go jack hodges jack hodges yeah good name <laughs> i know almost as good as dave cave <laughs> <laughs> yeah should have stuck with it, it should have been like will smith <laughs> from fresh prince um i don't know if he's will smith but he was definitely will anyway um <laughs> um and do you think, just with that in mind, because I, I want to get on to um, what you're doing these days, but in terms of looking at those guys compared to you, do you think, let's say, let's say hypothetically, you had gotten an acting break during those first few years. Um, do you think, you know, now in a, in a parallel dimension, you'd be delighted being, being, you know, an actor working all the time? Or do you think the fact that you got out of it uh, is a kind of a sign that it wasn't really your true place yeah. anyway I don't think it was really right for me because you know people who have got amazing breaks they still very few people just kind of like I don't know rode a wave 
at 23 and then are still riding it now you know it, at 38 it's like everyone you know I don't know I mean we'd have to chat to Ruth Wilson uh, she's probably perhaps the person who has faced fewest professional um, dips I don't I don't believe for a second that she hasn't had to face a, a fuckload of challenges but she may have had to face the fewest dips she's had to make an enormous amount of um, an, an enormous number of incredibly savvy career choices and has done so and you know as a result has a really interesting body of work um, but like everyone has had to do a lot of work generating um, generating work and generating the kinds of work that they want to do and making sacrifices of one kind of work so that they could break out into other kinds of work. So, um, and and I guess, so in answer to the question, n- you know, no, I think even if I had had some amazing, some some amazing something in that first kind of 18 months, I'm still not sure it, it's like fundamentally the right kind of fit for me and therefore I probably would have fumbled the ball and dropped it. Yeah found myself out of work a year and a half later and probably made the same move. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <That> <laughs> it's is, difficult to know though, isn't yeah, it? I think that's really, really well said. Um, and a really a really good thing actually for any for any actor to hear, I think. Um, yeah, you, I think yeah it's right. a grind. Yeah. It's a grind. Even when you think people have got it easy, it's still a grind. Yeah. Um, so tell me uh, so then what's the what's the, the path then from, from that point from Brit Doc to to Kickstarter. What happens in between? Yeah, so I stayed. At, I, I I worked with Brit Doc for a long time. Actually, and kind of you know worked my way up and left as a deputy director. But in the meantime, I moved to the states to open um, with with my colleague uh, Maxine to open up the U.S. office, Brit Doc's U.S. office uh, here in New York City, and and um, and was was working in that capacity for about a year and a half. Um, and then and then jumped ship over here to Kickstarter. As I mentioned at the beginning, I had had my eyes on on this company for a long time, um, probably since about 2012. Um, and yeah, and the job and the job came up. A, you know, a, a friend um, was leaving, and I got his "I'm going" email. Jumped on that right away. Smart one. <laughs> because his because his colleague his colleague his soon to be former colleague I had an enormous amount of love and respect for and I was like wait a minute that if Dan's leaving I mean that's a shame but that means he's leaving Liz mm. so um, so yeah I joined the team here and and uh, me and um, Liz Cook Mao are now this kind of cell of two that work with that work with filmmakers and we're part of a kind of a bigger team that works with creative people across all um, all the disciplines so Liz and I have both worked in film and we work with filmmakers um, there are people who work with you know um, authors and within the publishing industry and with games makers and uh, design and technology and the rest of it and musicians yeah and you've had uh, I remember you told me when we were first in contact like you've had You've worked on some really exciting projects. Could you tell me um, about some of them? Um, I'm trying to think uh, what we discussed. <laughs> well, I me- particularly the one that jumped out is um, re- in recent times you worked on period end of sentence. Oh, right? the, yeah. The I mean, I actually didn't work with that team because they oh. ran that project. <laughs> I know. No, I know. that w- We have had a bunch of really cool um, 
of film projects come through Kickstarter. And, you know, obviously there's like 26,000 projects have been successfully funded. And, wow. you know, the vast majority of those I couldn't tell you a thing about. But but a few of them have done really well in, and done well in by many different standards. So there's been a couple of short docs that have won the Oscar. So, yeah, period end, end of sentence this year won the short doc Oscar. In 2013, Innocente won the short doc Oscar. And actually I did work with that project in the previous iteration at BritDoc. But um, um, this year we had the highest raised, raising highest, you know, oh God, I can't. This year we had the um, the highest revenue generating film project, which is a uh, uh, an animated series of a streamed Dungeons and Dragons game. I mean, right. look, it's not, <laughs> I don't know much hey, about it, but it raised $11 million. How much? 11 million. Oh my God. Yeah, it's unbelievable. I mean, it's just crazy. That whole world is is very unknown to me. I you didn't know, I'm discovering there's YouTubers who who comment on games and and they've got like thirty million dollars. <laughs> this is no, new it's info. a different it's a different world. Um, maybe at some point you'll get involved on Twitch. I don't know, but um, yeah. but that's where that that eleven million dollars came from. So yeah, we've had a bunch of you know great projects, and if I had to guess, I would say that a film, a short film that raised a, uh, around a quarter of a million dollars uh, a couple of years ago. I, don't, I would I would say it will be a short animation Oscar contender, I hope, fingers Great. crossed, Great. called Hair Love by Matt Cherry, um, which you did a bit of um, a bit of support on. But yeah, it's it's been kind of, it's been cool. There's been something up for that for an, I mean, not that I think the Oscars are the be all and end all, but there has been something up for an Oscar pretty much every, um, pretty much every year, in fact, every year for the last nine years, I think. Right. It's been Kickstarter funded. Yeah. yeah. Which shows, you know, how important it is. Yeah. In, in, you know, filling that, filling that gap and, and bridging that, that divide for people, right? Yeah. Because it's such a tough market, right? It's hard. It's hard if you're an independent filmmaker. You know, to get that money and to retain some kind of creative, independent, you know, control. Um, and this is one way of doing that, you know. It's like raise that money yourself and you can make what you want to make. Yeah. I'm just thinking, anyway, I'd say most people listening know what Kickstarter is, but maybe just give us a tiny little, yeah. tiny little description of like what Kickstarter do. Kickstarter is basically the OG crowdfunding platform, you know. It's the one that, I mean, we go in 10 years, um, that helps creators, not like God, <laughs> creative folk, uh, raise raise money for their creative projects through a series of small donations, small, sometimes quite large donations, uh, you know, crowdsourced from, in the very first instance, probably the people they know, but, you know, with increasing scale, um, you know, it, it allows projects and creators to reach further and further and further until, obviously, in the case of Critical Role with their eleven million dollars, that was a lot of people they didn't know. But you know, maybe it's, but maybe it's you're raising, I don't know, five hundred, a thousand pounds or dollars to, you know, do that T-shirt project you always meant to. It's kind of cool, you know. Yeah. It's like there is no limit to to the scale of things. It's it's really interesting to me as a kind of psychological thing. I had a, a case recently where a friend of mine had gotten into this really cool course and needed to raise thousands and thousands of of uh, pounds. And you know, there's there's a bit of a thing in people, and I'd say particularly from um, UK and Ireland, 
but I'd say for most parts of the world where it's like, oh, I don't want to ask people for money, mm. you know? There's a bit of a block. For sure. Um, but then, you know, they just have to at certain times. And when they do, it, it can be amazingly effective. Like in the case of my friend, she managed to do it. She raised, you know, a huge amount of money. Um, and now she's gone doing this dream course, you know? It's just, yeah. There's something about that, that the potential to unleash um, of people helping each other out and sharing with each other it's a, it's a really cool thing no one loves asking for money not even americans yeah <laughs> i mean it is particularly i mean i went out to japan last year because uh, we had launched there the year previous and you know went out to kind of talk to different japanese independent filmmakers and um you know and they were they were another level of resistant even than you know the english and the irish in mm. terms of asking but you know i think um there's a kind of radical honesty that is required to make asks like that and and people really respond to it actually i mean it's very vul you know it's very vulnerable making but vulnerability is a good thing yeah um and is rewarded yeah and i guess it shows that people wouldn't do it unless they really believed yeah. In in what they were, you know, asking for help with. Right, exactly. If you really believe that a project that you want that this project should exist in the world, then that will be compelling and you will find a way to, you know, to frame that and to find a voice to that and you will have the opportunity to make it. You know, yeah. it's like one thing does follow the other. Yeah. So tell me about like what's what's like an average day for you here? Um I guess I have two different kinds of average day. One is like an office-based average day and another, and, and, and the other kind of average day, although they're fairly unaverage days, is I spend a lot of time at film festivals. Um, it's sort of my job to go and meet with filmmakers to find out what's being made and to, you know, obviously catch up with film projects or filmmakers who have fundraised on Kickstarter in the past. Um, so yeah, so a, a lot of my days are kind of out and about at film festivals. Here, I mean, honestly, it's like me, uh, it's just like me and my computer. I mean, it really is. I might chit chat to some people, but basically all of like the, I work at an online platform and I don't interact face to face with the majority of people that I interact with. So it's kind of either, it's sort of a feast or famine. I'm either at a film festival and meeting probably hundreds of people over the course of a few days, or I'm sitting here in that diner. Very nice diner. I mean, look, it's Some nice it's trees the out there in the courtyard. Yeah, no, it's a bit. I mean, it's a beautiful office, but um, but uh, yeah, I'm kind of definitely, I'm definitely communing with my device. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a sacred, it's a sacred relationship, isn't it? <laughs> it's something. <laughs> and and so, how do you feel? I, I think this is the big question. Um, you know, to to any actors listening to this, or to anyone who's ever kind of thought maybe maybe I might do something else, or whatever. Like, how would you, how would you characterize the way you feel now, and when you look back on that on that journey and your your memories of of going down the acting route? And yeah, I feel very fond for it, and I and I feel very grateful to have been engaged in in that way in that kind of creative process there are parts of it that i miss i don't feel regretful for the overall trajectory i think it was actually not a good fit um i wouldn't have known that it was not a good fit unless i had done it you know um and also i work with i mean i work with writers and directors and actors all the time at, you know so it's also not like I did the work and then 
and then it was somehow lost. You know, it, mm. it feeds into what I do every day. So I feel incredibly, yeah, I feel very fond and warm and fuzzy about it. Not least because, you know, some of the people who, some of the finest people who continue to be in my life were gathered along the way, specifically through all of those shows that I did, you know, from the age of nine, you know, eight, nine onwards. Um, and a lot of that kind of, you know, what we were talking about at the beginning, a lot of a lot of that kind of, that uh, that uh, ability to empathize probably came from just the just the sheer number of hours that we spent you know trying to tease out things from scripts and characters and i don't know so i feel very grateful for it and i don't and i don't regret it but i also don't think that i've made a dud decision (laughs) yeah well this is something that's that's come up um you know repeatedly that it's it's not um it's not a dead end. You know, if, if you do it and then you stop doing it, it's not like it was a waste of your time. It, it gives everyone so mm. much, uh, which will feed into so many other things. Totally. You know, so it's a really kind of nice reminder for anyone. Um, and it was nice because when I came to Kickstarter, I start, you know, having spent eight plus years working in documentary, um, I started working with fiction projects. And so it, it did actually serve, uh, maybe not a full circle, but like suddenly I was working within a, a more similar realm to the one that I had left off a decade earlier, um, quite unexpectedly. Hmm. You know. And how do you like living in New York as, a, as an English woman? Yeah, I like it very much actually. I mean, I've, I've been here for four years now, four and a half years and um, and it kind of suits me just fine. I just moved apartments to a new neighborhood. It feels now? a bit weird. I'm in Bed-Stuy. Right. Um, I was in Fort Greene, so it's not very far away in Brooklyn. But um, uh, yeah, I like it. I like it. I'm not going anywhere in the foreseeable. Right, but you wouldn't rule it out in the future? Wouldn't rule it out. I mean, my family's, you know. Yeah. My family's there, mum and dad. Yeah, I think for anyone who moves away, that's always that's always kind of yeah. in their mind, right? Yeah, exactly. But yeah, no plans, no plans to head back. Right. Okay. Um, well, it was absolutely lovely meeting you. Um, thank you again so much for having me and for hearing your story. Your your kind of outlook is so um, I don't know, so kind of positive and articulate. It's it's really lovely to listen to. Great. It's well, it was cool a pleasure. Story. A pleasure to meet you. Thanks very much. Cheers. Signing off. That was my conversation with Elise McCabe. I hope you enjoyed it. As I listen back to it myself, there are moments I wish I could have delved into in more detail, but it was the middle of the working day in Kickstarter, so that was about as much time as I could chance my arm asking for. Elise very kindly brought me along to a little gathering they were having in Kickstarter after we did the interview up on a kind of really nice balcony deck thing um, with lovely food and drink and... um, nice people and it felt like I was in an episode of Girls or so been a more up-to-date trendy New York program there she also correctly predicted that Hair Love would win the Oscar Hair Love the film that she helped get funding did indeed win the Oscar for best animated short in 2020 so congratulations to all involved for that if you have a story or know somebody with a story of making a dramatic change in their life and it doesn't have to be an actor or an artist of any kind just any kind of dramatic change from one thing to another I'd love to hear it and I will definitely need help finding the most interesting stories I can out there in the world 
So please contact me. You can email me at patspodcastpeople at gmail.com. Also, if you enjoy the podcast and you think it's a worthwhile venture, I would appreciate any contribution you see fit to give to keep it running. You can find me on patreon.com forward slash patspodcast. Also, I didn't say last time, the plan is to release an episode every two weeks, every fortnight on Monday. Next time, I'll be talking to Alex Tichy, who graduated as an actor from NYU in New York, and when we spoke was a PhD astronomer in Columbia University on the search for as yet undiscovered exomoons, moons in other solar systems. So we talk all about his life and how he went from an actor to that. See you in two weeks' time. Thank you.